We'll go ahead and get started here. Um, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the firehouse. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, my name's Rich. If I haven't got to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm going to just start things off real quickly by praying, and then we're going to jump into chapter 5 of the letter of 1 John, the final chapter, the final part in our series called Get, Get a Life. So if you would, let's just bow our heads and pray together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us life today, bringing us together. Lord, I do pray that you would um, speak to each one of us today. I pray that you would fill our hearts, that we could hear your gentle voice and any uh, nudgings uh, from your spirit this morning. That I pray that you just uh, give us ears to hear your word through your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would open up even a channel through me uh, to speak here this morning. That I just admit that I do not deserve that and we do not deserve to hear from you. But we just ask that you would. You would teach us from this letter, even as you taught the first century church that it was originally written to. Um, but we just ask you bless this time, meet us here, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, let's see here. So if you have a house Bible, we're going to read, uh, it's page 1210 in the house Bible. You should have one under your chairs. If you don't, we can pass them back because I know there's some extra ones sitting around here. So if you need one, um, let's see, you can get those circulated around. I know there's some extra ones here. Um, so page 1210 in your house Bible. And this is First John chapter 5. And this is the last chapter in, in the five-part series we've been doing, one chapter a week here. And so um, we'll just read this together, and we'll have just look at a few kind of concluding thoughts related to, uh, to this letter here. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which He has given about His Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And, we know that it, and if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. 
If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray, and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him, uh, the one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even His Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So, that's a pretty, I have a pretty meaty chapter there, pretty full. Um, there's a lot of things we could cover on this, but we're really just going to hone in on one section of this. There's really one verse from this chapter that I think the, if you had to pick one from the entire letter to come away with, it's the one we're going to talk about this morning. And before we get started, I'd like to ask you two questions here. And maybe on your sheet of paper, you can write the answers down to these two questions here. And it's something that we'll refer to uh, as we go through this message here. So the two questions are this, and maybe you've heard them before. Um, The first one is this. It's a hypothetical question, but and hopefully it's a hypothetical question. But the question is, um, how sure are you if you were to die tonight that you would go to heaven? How sure are you that if you were to die tonight or today, get in an accident or have something happen to you, how sure are you that you would go to heaven? By the percentage down zero to 100%. Um, try to be as honest as you can. Zero percent is, you know, obviously low. That means ain't no way you'd go to heaven. And 100% is that you would have no doubt about going to heaven if you were to die. That's the first question. Write your percentage down somewhere maybe on the top of your page anywhere. Somewhere you can refer to it again. encourage you to write it in ink so you can't erase it and change it for later. Um, second question is, is this. Again, hypothetically, if this were to happen and you come before God and God asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell Him? God's wondering why He should let you into His heaven. Being as he is the God of heaven, what would you tell him? And then go ahead and you can, we'll, we'll refer back to those later again here. But um, anyways, okay, so um, if we were to pick one verse from this chapter, um, and really one verse from this whole letter, the verse that I would suggest that we pick to, to hold on to, to understand, to live out, to apply would be, 1 John 5.13 1 John 5.13 And I like how it says it in the Message Bible. Here, I'll read that to you first and then we'll, we'll just refer, we'll frame our time um, from the verses in your, in your Bible there. But this, uh, this is how it's kind of paraphrased in the Message. It says this about this chapter, about the letter of 1 John. John says, My purpose in writing is simply this, that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. The reality and not the illusion. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. John's entire, really, he kind of sums up the whole reason he has written this letter to the first century Christians. 
This whole purpose is that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you will go when you die. Sometimes I hear people say, um, boy, you, you just never can tell. Uh, who knows? Who really knows? Um, you know, I'm about as sure as you can get. I'm 50-50. Um, there's all sorts of things that people say. But God, speaking through the Apostle John, says to you and to me, I've written these things so that you can know for sure where you will go when you die. And that's why he wrote this letter. And so um, we're going to just refer to a few things just from this verse here. Can I see the next uh, slide? I think it's the same verse again, but uh, this is how it reads in our house Bible here. I write these things to you believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And what we're going to do here is just a quick review. Uh, really for our first point is just to review where we've been. You know, when it says here, I write these things to you, who is the I that is writing here? John. Yes, good, good. All right. I hope we get that one right. First John, the whole letter. We've been doing this for five weeks now. So John is writing. And Josh Whitney introduced chapter 1. And really one of the things that we came away with from chapter 1 was John is just saying this. He's saying, I was there with Jesus. I touched Him. I saw Him. I lived with Him. I saw Him after the resurrection. I know that He really is the Son of God, the Savior who was to come. John is saying... Take it from me. I know him. Because there were people that are starting to say, Oh, Jesus, he wasn't really God. And no, he didn't really rise again. And it was just a phantom that he didn't actually die. And there was all these things. And John is saying, Hold everything. I knew Jesus. I'm a witness to this. And I'm telling you. Because there's a lot of false teachings going on around. And John just wanted to set the record straight for the first century church. Really to set the record straight for 20 centuries. We are reading the eyewitness account of the Apostle John here. And so John says a few things. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And really, um, John's purpose in this is that you can have a confidence that you're going to heaven. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you can have a confidence beyond a shadow of a doubt where you're going when you die. And he wanted to strengthen and encourage the faith of the, the first century believers. And this letter still speaks to us today to encourage our faith. He's writing to believers. It's not like he's writing to people who didn't know Jesus. He's saying, hey you that know Jesus, I want you to be strong and assured in your faith. And, and then he says, I write these things. Well, what are some of the things that John wrote? We're going to review some of the marks uh, of a Christian. You know, I think it's kind of been interesting uh, to see in each chapter, there's these themes, these threads that have been interwoven throughout the whole letter. And they just come up again and again and again. And these marks of a true Christian life, all of them are represented in chapter 5. But they're throughout the whole letter here. And we're just going to look at some of those again and see how many of you remember. I shared some of them. I know uh, they overlap with Jeff and Brad's and Josh's teaching of, of things that you should expect to see in a true Christian life. Because some of these people were saying, hey, look, I love God. I'm a Christian. Now listen to my teachings. And they were way off base from what one of the original disciples had to say about Jesus and the true Christian life. So I just want you to look over your life as we look at these and see, do they mark your life? Do you call yourself a Christian? And if so, do these mark your life? And if you don't, that's okay. We'll talk about that later. But if you do call yourself a Christian, are these things true in your life? And the first one was one we talked about is that you'd have a changed attitude towards sin. And in this last chapter 5, it just says, hey, you will not continue in sin. It's not that a Christian is, not, is, is perfect, they never sin again, but they're not in the habit of practicing sin. 
Sin is the exception. The habit is following and obeying God. And sin happens. Whereas some people back in the days were living in total sin and, and saying, but I got some teachings that if you just know these teachings, you don't have to worry about sin. It doesn't really matter. Which is not true. And again, the symbol, if we had a symbol for this, again, we'll give you a few marks to remember, but what was the mark about sin? If we were going to have a mark to represent us? The idea would be, exactly, the idea would be like, say you get a t-shirt. Maybe We're not going to get this t-shirt. It might be a little cheesy, but the hope is you remember the idea. Get a t-shirt in big capital letters that says SIN. And then it has a big circle with the cross through it. If you're a Christian... You're going to not want to practice sin. You're going to not want to continue in it. It's cheesy, but I hope it sticks with you. A true Christian will be marked by a changed attitude about sin. Not a flippancy, not a dumbing down sin because God doesn't really care about it anymore. A changed attitude about sin. That was my old life. That's how I used to live before Christ. Another mark is... um, that we love God and obey God's Word. You know, back in the days, they were all saying, I love God, I love God. And then they came up with their own teachings. And if I love God and I can, I can get drunk, I can be sexually immoral, I can do all... They were coming up with their own things. And, and John says this, Hey, look, if, they, if you really love God, if someone says they really love God, one of the things their life will be marked by is an obedience to God's Word. And what was the symbol we had for being marked by that? Anyone remember? From this week to... I know some of you do, somebody, somebody. The symbol I talked about to be marked is to be a Christian that actually has a Bible in hand. And, you know, we could talk all these things about God, but everybody, a lot of people say, I love God, and they come up with some pie-in-the-sky view of God. But John says, hey, look, if you really love God, do you obey His Word? Are you one of those Christians that kind of lives your own life? You say you're a Christian, and you're just living by your words, your, your thoughts. A Christian is marked by having a Bible and living it out. I went out and got a Bible. I lost my Bible that was kind of the pocket version Bible that I had. So when I spoke on it, I didn't actually have a Bible. Again, the point we made the last time was Rick Whitney was just talking about being a church planter. He says, if you're really a student of Jesus Christ, you know, a couple things that wouldn't hurt to, to prove that is that you actually have a Bible that you carry with you. Not that you leave on the shelf, not that you, but that you take it with you and you've got a notebook. Where you kind of take notes, you know. Any class that you have, I'll guarantee you've got the book and you've got the notebook, right? Or a notebook. But Rick's tip for church planters is, hey, if you're really a church planter, this should mark your life. You should walk around as a little Bible thumper. You don't have to have the big stomper, whomper stompers, but just a little one. Hey, Good morning. Just want to... How you doing? I just wanted to use my Bible to make sure we are all alive and well here. Keep an eye on the person sitting next to you. If they have dozed off, please gently nudge them. But uh, I told I told some of them. I told Jimmy earlier. I said if you fall asleep, Alan is going to give you an elbow. Okay. So, um, but he's so like good. But anyways, uh, are you marked by loving God and obeying God's word? Or do you just talk about God's Word because this old hat, you used to carry a Bible, you used to read it on your breaks, you used to read it on the bus, but now, you know, you're too mature for that. I want to be marked by obeying God's Word and maybe even have it on you. Um, next point here. Uh, just a love for your Christian brothers and sisters. Over and over again, even in this chapter, it says, Hey, look, if you really love God the Father, you're going to love His children who happen to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Again, we talked about how sometimes we can say, Oh, I love the lost. And I treat my roommates like trash because they're not as important as reaching the lost people who don't know Christ. And Jesus said very clearly, you'll be marked by the love you show for those Christians that are closest to you. The ones in your same house, really. And so how's that going? Are you marked by that? And you might say, yeah, I'm marked by love, but would your roommate say, yeah, they're marked by love for me and uh, other believers closest to them. We want to be marked by that. We talked about how you know, Jesus said the cross, and in 1 John 3.16, He said, hey, look, the cross is an example of how you should love one another. You know, sometimes we can look at the cross and think, God loves me so much, He died on the cross, He took all that pain, He took all my sin because He loves me. And Jesus said, that's true. But that's also a picture of how you're supposed to love the person next to you. And we talked about the mark for that being a cross. Are you carrying a cross which really is loving believers around you? That's something that should mark. Because back in the day they had people saying they were, loved God, they were Christians, and they were hateful towards people that did not have their same doctrine, which happened to be false doctrine. And, and they would put them out of the church and they wouldn't um, treat them Christ-like at all because... They didn't follow their knowledge about Jesus, which was actually wrong. But John was saying, hey, look, if they're really a Christian, you're going to see love in their lives. That that should mark them. Another one we have here um, is a love not for this world. Several verses talked about uh, in chapter 2 just that you won't have a love for the things of this world, the temporary, the passing pleasures, uh, the sensual pleasures of this world. You'll have a love for things that are beyond that, the eternal and, and that should mark the life. You know, I think that relates to this last verse in the chapter. It just says, My dear children, do not have idols. Do not have something from this world that's temporary and it's taking the place of God in your life. Do not have idols from this world in your life. That's, your heart belongs to God and God alone. Um, I think I, uh, something that would mark us on that, I forgot to share this last time we talked about things that would mark us, but I thought about, again, another cheesy thing, hopefully you remember, but it's like the idea of a bumper sticker. That You know, you see those bumper stickers that say, I heart something or another, or I ski heartland, um, I ski loveland or whatever. Um, you know the bumper stickers, right? Some of you might have them. But on this one I thought maybe we'd have a bumper sticker that says, I heart not this world. The things of this world, I heart them not. I love them not. As a disciple, you should be marked by a love for one another and for God and His Word. But you also should not be marked or stained or polluted by the temporary things in this world. That's a true Christian life. Next one here. Um, is It talks in several places about having the Holy Spirit inside you, testifying to things. The Holy Spirit is a witness. The Holy Spirit was there when Jesus died on the cross and when He rose from the grave. And He can testify to your heart, this is really true. It talks about how we accept the testimony of man. You go to court, someone testifies against you, or two people. you got a case, it's a done deal, and, and there's ramifications because of that. But the case that John makes here is, hey look, if you believe the testimony of man who could be, you know, twisting things or shading things his way. What about the God who's perfect? Won't you take his word on who Jesus really is and what he did? Talks about the water. Really, the water is about the, the baptism that Jesus went through. And the blood is about his blood being shed on the cross and the work that was accomplished there. And those are three, test- three witnesses, the Holy Spirit, the water, and the blood that testify that Jesus really is the Savior who was to come, the Son of God. Um, 
I read something about Billy Graham shared this little story about the Holy Spirit witness but he said it's kind of like this boy that was flying a kite and he flew this kite and it went way way up into the sky and out of sight in the clouds and some man comes along and says what are you doing holding that string and he's like well I'm flying my kite my kite's up there and the guy looks up and he says I don't see your kite how do you know it's there and he says because I can feel the tug and, and Billy Graham goes on to say, you know what, if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you can feel the tug to do what God wants you to do. The tug to do what is right. The tug to love people. The tug to avoid evil. And if you're a true Christian, you will have a witness inside you, tugging you to do the things that God wants you to do. And that's another mark. One of the, the lessons, and those are, those are marks in some ways, you might say those are external things on how I can tell a Christian here. But um, this next one here is probably the, the ultimate thing you, you can tell to be a Christian over and over again. It might seem pretty basic, but throughout this letter, John says, hey, by the way, this is what you should believe about Jesus. It's that Jesus really was the Messiah who was to come and, and save the world. And Jesus really was God in the flesh. Sometimes people try to, you know, well, Jesus wasn't really the Messiah. Actually, the Messiah came on him after he was baptized and he, he was a dove. And it, that was the Christ. And then that left him before he died because God couldn't really die. He would never do that. That's all false teaching. You need to believe in Jesus Christ as, as the Lord, the God of the Old Testament, the God, um, the, the Messiah who was to come, and as your Savior. And it says it like this. I like how the one-year uh, the Living Bible puts verse one of chapter five here. It says this. It says, "If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is God's Son and your Savior, then you are a child of God." Over and over again, John says, "Here's what you need to believe: He's God in the flesh. That means that's God's Son, God." in the flesh and he was the Savior the Jewish Messiah who was to come and save all the world Jesus is the Messiah the Christ and you need to believe that and not only do you need to believe that in general you need to believe that he is your Savior and John reiterates this but obviously to be a Christian one of the marks you should have is believing things that are true about Jesus and that's the first mark here it's not just we need to believe the right facts about Jesus there's things that these, these Gnostics were introducing, these things that were not true about Jesus and John says, here's what you really actually should believe, these things are true, but the other thing is that it was more than just the fact about Jesus and so um, let's look at this other verse here real quick this is a verse here um, that I think maybe kind of brings home all the marks and all the things we just covered on that last sheet there but it says this and this is in the New American Standard here um, I liked how a couple of the phrases were, were worded here but it says and the testimony is this here's what God says is really true here's what you can really know from God that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son He who has the Son has the life he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. You know how you can truly tell you're a Christian or marked as a Christian with the true Christian life is to have the Christ inside you. Really, that's, that's the ultimate key to it all here. If you have the Son, because sometimes people think it's just an intellectual thing. Christianity, if you just believe the right things, you'll go to heaven. But this says here, it says... This eternal life, it's in His Son. You know, I kind of think of it like this. Sometimes Christians can think, um, 
Knowing the right doctrine is our ticket to heaven. If you know the right things about Jesus and you can recite them on a multiple choice you know, test, you'll go to heaven. You've got your tickets. But really what this says here is, you know, it's not about having your ticket, your right doctrinal answer to heaven. Jesus is the ticket. Do you have Jesus in your life? He is the ticket to heaven. When you come before God and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, Jesus says, this one is mine. This one's with me. It's not about you explaining, well, I got this ticket and I signed this page once when it was on the back of the track and it's got my name and a date. You know, the real question is going to be, is Jesus with you? Is Jesus saying, this one's with me. I died for this one. They believe I died for them. And their mind, they're coming to heaven with me. And the ticket, sometimes it's just, we can think it's all about the fact and an intellectual assent to the fact that we have the Son. You know, that's ultimately the most important thing of it all. And these people that have the false teachings, they, they had their facts off. They had the marks that were, they didn't have the marks of the Christian life. And they, of course, did not have Jesus in their life because they were wrong on all the rest of it. But one of the things I just want to share about this, you know, I think there's an encouragement here that I find, and even as I'm reviewing this, is that, um, you know, it's like Jeremy talked about a little bit in the Christian life. If you look at those marks, okay, here, here's what I need to do. I need to be free from sin. Um, I need to have my Bible and live it out. can never do anything wrong. I need to love these people around me, and they are just sinners, and I just got to love them anyways. And um, we've got to do not love this world. And we've got to have the Holy Spirit with us. It could be this list and you go, by the time you're done, to live the Christian life is like, I'm just weary. Maybe like what Jeremy is sharing, we can be physically weary, but you can be spiritually weary because you're trying to do the Christian life on your own. And I think there's a, maybe it's a secret here, but that the Christian life isn't designed for you to get all your ducks in a row and you just do everything right. The, the secret to the Christian life is first to have the Christ right in the center of your life and then to ask Him to to live out all those other things. If you go through those marks, every one of those marks, they're they're more true in Jesus than they are any any other place. Jesus was without sin. Jesus had a love. He's the one that went to the cross for you and I. Jesus had nothing of this world cling on to Him or, or stain Him. Jesus had, um, he had all of those marks that we talked about. And if you have Him living inside you, you can have this Christian life. And, and Jesus actually puts it like this. I look at that list of six things and I go, that's a long, tiring list. That, I've been trying to do that and it's just hard. And Jesus says this. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And really Jesus is saying when you invite Him into your life, He can help you live out all of it. All the marks that are supposed to be there are real natural and easy to Jesus. That's who He is. And He wants to express Himself through your life and, and through mine. And um, But I just think that's the key that's easy to miss it. You have the sun, you have the life. And, and I don't know what you put down on your answer sheet, how sure you are you're going to heaven and what your reasons are. But my hope is that you come to the place where you can write down 100% sure. And the reason being because Jesus Christ is in your heart as Lord and Savior. And those are the answers that John says, I write these things to you 
you know, that, this is right in the context. He's saying, I write the verse after this is I write this, these things to you. This one says, hey, look, you've got Jesus in your life. You have the life. You have eternal life. You have everything you need for the true life. You know, we call this series um, Get Alive. I think um, uh, the... Well, more accurately, we might call it. We got to get a light. Yeah, I think we could more accurately call this series. I would have loved to call it "Get the Life." We're not just talking about getting any old life, get a better life, get a good life, but get the life—the life of Jesus Christ living in you. Sometimes, as Christians, we settle it. We settle. We settle for being cheap imitations of Jesus. There's Jesus, and there's me—this little cheap imitation glimmer of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want you to be a cheap imitation of Him. He wants to come into your life on the throne room of your heart and He wants to emanate through you. Not imitate, He wants to emanate. He wants to radiate through you and I. And it's an easy thing for Him to do. But if you try to reproduce that in your own strength, it's hard, it's burdensome, it's weary. You will be heavy laden. But He wants to do it all for you. Um, so get, get the life. Get Jesus into your life here. Um, the last thing I want to hit on here is just, you know, this is all tied to eternal life. Get eternal life. He says, I've given you eternal life. That life is in Jesus. If you, if you have Jesus, you have the life. Um, I just want to close with a thought here related to eternal life. You know, um, I think sometimes that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. You know, what is eternal life? Is it just... Living for a really long time? Is it just a quality of life? You, you have the abundant life, that's eternal life. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions. But really, um, and to start off with, I just want to pick on a, a series, a, a book series that's out there, and a movie series that's out there as well, that hints at this eternal life. Anyone know what series that might be? Twilight. The Twilight series, yes. Twilight series, you know, I think what I go, I've seen, I think, I don't know how many movies are out so far, three movies, right? Uh, I have not read the books. I'm not planning on it. I know lots of people who have. Um, and I think the essence of this Twilight series is really this relationship, this loving relationship. And the goal is for these two people to be in this loving relationship forever. And you know, in some ways, I think, well... Kind of what eternal life is about. But it doesn't have vampires and it doesn't have things like that, you know. Um, but, you know, so if you know about the series at all, you know, it's just this idea that... So you could either have this short-lived relationship for as long as you live on earth and, you know, you could love each other for maybe you live 70, 80 years. Or, since one of the key characters, Edward, is a vampire, for Bella to have a loving relationship forever with him, what does she have to do? She has to become a bloodsucker herself, you know? And it's kind of this, uh, you know, they, they kind of put you in this situation. I try to go and enjoy and turn off all my doctrinal censors when I get to the movies and just go, okay, it's vampires, I get that, it's werewolves. You know, it just happens to be a werewolf that always wants to pull his shirt off and show his muscles there, you know. Um, we were giving Jacob a hard time for that yesterday with the insulation. We're like, Jacob, you should pull your shirt off and just kind of walk around. But, you know, again, I just think it's, a, it's an attempt to have that loving relationship last forever. But the way that you get there is 
Well, you know, the character Edward is a vampire, and he's, uh, which means he's damned forever. But he gets to live forever in a state of damnation. And so Bella's trying to decide, do I live in this world or do I become a vampire and be damned with the one I love forever? And, you know, what you come away with, if you don't know the ending, is, well, they want to be together forever as vampires. And that's, I think, what happens. I actually haven't seen the next movie yet, so I'm, I'm in suspense. I've heard, uh, I've heard how it plays out here, but... Um, but just think about it. How, how strange is that? You're choosing between either the short-lived relationship, it's loving, it's real, and it just lasts for a few years, or you could have this long-lasting relationship forever with the person who's damned and you're damned, and, and that's what they end up choosing. You know, that's just like, God has got an even better story. And it's real. And it's not about vampires. And it's not about sucking blood and having to find creatures to suck blood on for the rest of your life. It's a real relationship that's... It's about loving. A loving relationship with God. And it's a living relationship with God. A very real one. And it's a lasting one that's designed to last for eternity. That's the essence of eternal life. A loving, living, lasting relationship with the God who created you and loves you dearly. And all of that is found in Jesus Christ. And if you receive Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, it is where that eternal life begins. That relationship begins here and now and it will last for eternity in heaven. But God has just designed the only way that that's possible because we've sinned against God and we've earned it. To sin against an eternal God earns an eternal punishment. But God has said, I love you so much. My son is taken that punishment for you on the cross. It's not about becoming a bloodsucker, but yet blood was involved. Jesus shed all His blood as He paid for your sins and mine. And if you believe He did that for you, and you receive Him into your life, you'll have eternal life. And John's just reminding people of the reality of that relationship, of that life, and of the truths associated with that. And it doesn't have to do with... Some of the false doctrines and teachings out there have to do with cults that drink blood. And they do believe different things about Jesus. But it's simply that God loves you so much He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And if you would believe that He died for you and rose again, you can invite Him into your life as your Lord and your Savior. And for me in my life, you know, I wrote down on on my list, um, I don't know what you wrote on yours. My hope is that you wrote 100% for sure. Um, and that you wrote because you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. But maybe you were like me. There was a time if someone asked me those questions, I would have said 90-something percent sure I was going to heaven. And the reasons why were because I went to church a lot when I was a kid. I did my dues. Uh, I was a pretty good person. I never killed anybody. Um, I could even quote a few verses from the Bible. But I, I would have wrote down something like that. That's why God should let me go into heaven. Because I'm, I'm not Hitler, you know. He, we know he shouldn't be in heaven, but I should. And eventually I started hearing verses like these, you know, that said... Well, actually, I've written these things so you can know you have eternal life. Not the things you've done, because you've actually just one sin against God that has an eternal consequence. And even if I did the best I could for 80 years, I could never make a dent in eternity. But Jesus, being fully God and fully man, could experience death and pay for my sins. And finally, I started hearing that if I believed in Him, that I could know for sure... I think it's interesting to find this verse as the last one in that section there, but it's saying you can have eternal life in, in Jesus and you can know for sure and 
And really the way that begins is just by asking Him to come into your life. It says that if you, you can have confidence in going to God and asking Him for anything that's in His will, anything that He has said He wants to do, you can ask Him for it. You can know that He hears you. You can know that you have it. And really as it relates to this, I think it's pretty clear that God wants to have a relationship with you. And that He's done everything that's possible on the cross to pay for your sins. And all you have to do is ask Him to come into your life. You know, the, the doctrine, the, the reality is it's a faith thing. If you believe in Him, you're saved. But you know, when you pray, prayer is just a way that you can express what you believe to God. You can tell Him, I, I, I am a sinner. I do need a Savior. I do need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And I invite Him to come into my heart as Savior and Lord. And, and that's expressing what you believe about Him. But that's how you begin this relationship that can start now and carry on for eternity. And, and our hope at, at the firehouse here is that if you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven, and if you haven't come to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and invited Him into your life as your Savior, that you would do that. That you would do that soon. That you would get started on this Living a very real and living relationship, a loving relationship with God, and one that will last for eternity. And you could do that again by simply just asking God to, to come in to your life as your Lord and your Savior, admitting that you've sinned. You don't need a Savior unless you really know you've sinned. And saying that you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and asking Him to be your Savior. And that can begin this relationship. And you know, and for those of you that maybe you've done this before, I just uh, want to encourage you, the same verse applies for the Christian life. Maybe you've been living a stagnant, stale, weary, stained Christian life. Um, but this is the life that God wants you to have. The true Christian life is one that is not in chains to sin. One that is not... Uh, Without God's Word, just doing your own thing. One that has love. God, has, God wants all of these things for every one of you in this room. And you know, you can be confident that when you ask Him for that, you know, it says if you ask anything according to His will, that He hears you and He'll answer you. These are all things that God wants for you. All the marks of a Christian life He wants for you. Have you settled for something less than that? Because the Apostle John is saying, hey, to you Christians, this is the life. And it's in Jesus, and all you got to do is ask for it. And maybe it's time to, to get a fresh, uh, fresh breath of air in your Christian life and have Him give you, take away the weariness and give you a restful Christian life here that's amazing. But we'll pray, and we'll call it a day here. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we do, um, we do just thank You for this letter. Thank You that Your words are timeless, they're eternal, and they're just as true for us as they were for the, uh, the first Christian church, the first disciples. Lord, I pray that You would help each one of us, and maybe if someone uh, does not have that relationship with You, but they want it, that they would um, just tell You what they want, that they want You to come into their life. You, they want You as their Savior. They want eternal life. God, I just pray that You would help someone take that step today. Lord, I pray for um, anyone who maybe is a Christian and they've just been uh, chained to sins. They cannot break free from sins. Or God, if there's anyone here that calls themselves a Christian that you would not, I pray you would change that, Lord. I pray you'd set people free. I pray that you would let people live the life as you intended it to be. Loving and real and living and lasting. We just ask that each one of us would be experiencing eternal life, even today. We just pray these things together in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us this morning. And I think, again, Wednesday night is fun night activities. And uh, we will see you next Sunday. Thanks.